following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts from Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad, and introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. We're at minute 16 of Flash Gordon Minute. Eric, how you doing? Hey, Brad, man. Everything's cool, my man. I'm just tripping, taking in all these fantabulous colors around us, man. Really, it is like it's in a lot. This scene looks like it takes place in a lava lamp. But uh, also tripping is our friend uh, who's joining us for a second day, Eric Jack Nash. Mr. Nash, how are you doing today? Oh, great, man. How are you? Very good, very good. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time because I know you're in the middle of doing your work for a uh, minute. Oh, I want to say Minutemen, but Minutemen were part of uh, yeah. Watchmen. <laughs> Watchmen Minute. Uh, uh, the, the, the fant- your fantastic uh, Minute by Minute podcast. Uh, and you know, I, I we know how crazy busy you can get when you're doing that. And it, who's yeah, you have your partner on that. It was the name Travis? Am I remembering yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Now, who, who does the uh, who does the editing for that show? Uh, we're sharing. Yeah, there, there's very few tasks that we've gone only one of us on each. There, there is one interesting uh, way we have our intros and outro music done, and that's that's a task of mine. But uh, and, and he's and he's handling the hit, you know, hosting it on his site. So we felt we felt like we've shared a lot pretty well. It's very Uh-oh. cool. <laughs> he, he doesn't feel that way though. <laughs> He's thinking too much. He's what he thinks, I'm sure. Well, we're real lucky. We have uh, our friend Jarf Harden, who was sort of the guy who uh, was uh, imperative on uh, getting Eric and I on the same wavelength, and he does our intros and our outros, and uh, that makes my life a lot easier. Um, and with this show, Eric's the talent, uh, and I, I'm the editor, and uh, we, we try to divvy it up that way. And also, Jarf also does our social media, which is a big help because I, I can't I can't do it. Yeah, my uh-oh was uh, that uh, Brad was going to hear, wait a minute, the, the, the host shared the, the technical and editing stuff? <laughs> wait a minute, because uh, he does all of it for this. <laughs> Uh, well, I tell you what, Eric, make, Eric makes it a lot easier because Eric is a, a, an experienced broadcast guy and he knows how to talk and uh when we're editing it together i have to cut out a lot of my errs and ums uh eric is a pro so i don't have to worry about it with him so i cause like three quarters of the editing that needs to be done so it wouldn't be fair to ask him to do the editing um er, er, um, uh, there okay there you go all right so we're at minute 16 the rocket is separating uh eric what's going on in this minute yeah speaking of ums and errs so um Dale is sweaty. Um, Her tongue is flicking suggestively. Her hand is pulling at her collar and drawing all of our attention to her bosom area. And then suddenly, the two people who just met and are passed out are holding hands. And not just holding hands, but they're doing the laced fingers hand holding. And that's just just a big deal hand holding. Yeah. There's just a lot of really awkward, unconscious acting. We, We talked a little bit about the last minute. Sam Jones is not meant to be 
trying to do this. He, he, you can tell he's like, I got to keep my eyes closed. I got to keep my eyes closed. I guess I should reach for a hand. It's, it's not the most natural um, work of his. One thing that really struck me is they're sort of leaning their heads against each other. It's a lot of weird camera angles, and it's, I, I think I don't think the seats were well suited that they're sitting on were well suited for this. So they both look sort of uncomfortable with the camera angles. But it really this minute goes to show how matchy matchy their outfits were because they're both wearing red and white. It's the same red. Am I correct on this? It seems that way. Full disclosure to our listeners, I am red ring colorblind, so sometimes I don't have the easiest time telling these things. But I'm like, I'm not sure if that's red or green, but I know it's the same shade. But they, they, See, and I have problem with greens, so you know. Oh, is that right? I can't help you. Yeah, I have problem with, like greens, dark, dark colors, blacks, browns, grays, all that stuff. I tr- I struggle with. Yeah, same here. And and also the fl- the fluorescent uh, or you know like uh, the not the stoplights amazingly the yellow and the green there is fine but uh, on, on on most of your electronics whether it's a yellow or a green <laughs> glowing light I'm pretty bad on that. So the the the, the everyone's knocked out. Uh, we're hearing more Queen music and then they go towards the wormhole and uh this is uh, 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 imp- imp- the imperial vortex yeah. come on now brad that's the name of our face <laughs> the imperial vortex and uh gosh jack can you can you can you describe the vortex for us please pretty much like a lava lamp <laughs> is what i put in my notes <laughs> i mean when, when they're in it especially i mean outside of it you know more like a whirlpool with a weird center <laughs> It's like it looks like a black hole, basically. It, it's such a goofy look. By the way, real quick, call out who has who did has at any point owned a lava lamp? Not I. No, not not actual, truly my possession, but certainly in my uh, freshman year dorm room there was one. <laughs> I, I remember my sister went through a series of them, and uh, guys, they're kind of crappy. Uh, the the the, <laughs> the lava, some of the water ends up dissipating, and it doesn't quite fill up the whole lamp, and then the lava gets like weird and chunky at the top, and uh, they, they don't last real long. So, But uh, yeah, th- there's definitely a lava lamp feel. And as they're going into the vortex, uh, the minute ends with uh, the uh, a scientist uh, under Ming's employ we get a close up on him and his just groovy glasses. Well, it's it's Lobot's groovy brother, right? It's actually the, the guy that plays Lobot. Is it really the same? What? Yeah, yeah. This is our fourth Star Wars connection so far. Um, that the guy we see speaking that is John Hollis, and he does indeed play Lobot in The Empire Strikes Back. He also actually played a, uh, in Superman and Superman Two those talking Krypton giant heads that proclaim everyone guilty. He's one of those talking heads as well. And I just think it's the irony that in as Lobot, he had the back half of his head covered with his thingy, and now he's got the front half. So the guy just he can't catch a roll that shows his whole head. Old glorious, beautiful head, <laughs> bald head. I can't believe this is the second time during the run of this show we've had somebody call out an actor looks like an actor in Star Wars, and it actually is the same actor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Because we had a previous guest call out uh, that um, uh, Munson uh, looked like a discount Porkins. And it's like, and Eric and I both just paused because we weren't sure if they were joking. It's like, you, you know, that actually is Porkins, right? Blew their freaking minds. <laughs> uh, these goggles guys are great. I, 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 I love these guys since I was a kid. I love them now as an adult. 
Um, I, I, you know, they look awesome. Who knows what's going on with those visors? You know, the lights are flashing, the images don't move. Who cares? One of the visor images, it looks like a screen crap from the old Atari game Breakout. Um, I, I love these guys. Oh, the, the glasses are amazing. And I, 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 I get uh, no idea what the value is to him, how they're making him any better at his job, but it's like, oh. It... <laughs> and I hope, I, I, I hope, uh, what was the actress's name? Hollis? John Hollis. I hope Hollis was able to pocket those on his way out because uh, th- that'd be a great souvenir to have. He's like, you're not going to believe these glasses. It's like, look at them. Look at them. I got to wear these in a movie. They paid me to wear these. <laughs> There's, um, I, as part of my research for this show, I looked up what kind of T-shirts or clothing you can get related to this movie. And there's actually surprisingly not that much out there. But one of the few T-shirts I found on Amazon is a picture of Goggles Guy. And it says underneath it, can't see the haters. Ah, oh, jeez. So what else do we have from this minute? Uh, we, we skipped over it, but so we've got, we've got the ship in space. And we've got it approaching the vortex and entering the vortex. And when they, when, when we, before it gets to the Imperial Vortex, they, we, we get a shot of it. And you can see a bunch of planets and stars behind it <laughs> as it moves towards the camera. Now, I want to know where they are because... I counted at least 10 planets in the background when this thing's flying, one which is clearly Earth. Now, I know Pluto doesn't count as a planet anymore, but, you know... It did then. When this movie was made, it was, and there were, there were only nine planets in our solar system, to the best of my knowledge. Also, all of the planets are all grouped in the same general area of the cosmos, with, with, and our sun is not in the shot, so the sun is somewhere else, and all these planets are all orbiting at the same, same point. So, where, where is this? Where is, where is this rocket ship, and how close is this vortex to the Earth? Because they make it there really fast. S- somebody did not pass uh, astronomy, their high school astronomy class, because nothing makes sense in this in this shot. And it <laughs> it just seems like another scene. And we talked about it when we were talking about uh, Zarkov's uh, lab, where there's just some scenes of this, like his lab just seemed like somebody went out and was like, get all the science stuff and throw it in the, the lab, and that's that, that'll make it look like a a laboratory and the same thing is like uh get all the planet stuff that we have uh, in props and just throw them together that's uh that'll make it look like space yeah yeah the astronomy is definitely a problem in this shot because also i mean the ship is clearly incredibly fast i mean earth is is unless we're doing some kind of you know uh time lapse or something i mean just for the fact alone that this ship is faster than any ship that's ever been built by humanity before. Zarkov should be winning Nobel Prizes for this ship. Before he got kicked out of NASA. Before he got kicked out of NASA, yeah. And I guess nobody else noticed the vortex, and that's why they thought Zarkov was insane, because this, Zark- this vortex is so close to Earth, but nobody noticed it. Uh, well, we hear Clytus' voice again. Uh, we heard him at the beginning talking to Ming, and we hear him again talking uh, to Goggles Guy. And so we touched on this very briefly last week, but we didn't really go into it. But uh, Peter Wingard, who played Clytus, as we're recording this, uh, died just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, he's always been one of my favorite characters in this movie. I recently bought my first ever Funko Pop figure, and the first Funko Pop I bought was Clytus. I wish I had this guy's voice. I love his voice. Uh, so, uh, just want to, you know, give a little tribute here to Clytus. And one funny note about him from his Wikipedia page. There is so much conflicting information about his childhood that, although he was supposedly 90 when he died, but when he was alive, he said he did not know his own age. That's not the first time I've heard a, uh, celebrity say that where they just didn't know their age. It's like, was that, did that used to be a thing? 
were people just not aware of how old they were once upon a time? Is <laughs> birthdays a new thing? Because I, I, my twins turned six in a few in, next month and i'll be damned every day they make sure i know when they're turning six (laughs) that's funny because my youngest is turning six in a week and he's been counting down for two months (laughs) (laughs) i just have a tough time with those kids being in their 30s and saying like ah i'm not sure when exactly i was born it's like they know yeah peter wingard uh, just an iconic actor great voice and looking at this, uh, the same Wikipedia page, apparently Mike Myers credited Wingard with uh, inspiring the cat, the inspiring Austin Powers, um, which you can sort of see Austin Powers that was definitely an homage to the 60s and 70s um, movies and the British icons. Uh, so uh, yeah, really good long life, great career. Uh, and just a fantastic voice. And us, uh, all of us being in the world of podcasting, uh, Eric, who is, uh, has his uh, radio background, we all appreciate the value of a good voice because uh, it makes all the difference in the world. Hey, Jack, what, uh, you got any thoughts about uh, Clytus? Not really, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't even too uh, clued in as to who that really was talking at that point. But yeah, it's a good pool of that actor. Yeah, a fun career, and he does a great job in this movie. Uh, and he ha- ends up having some of the more memorable scenes and acting with like full mask on, which is not easy because uh, all he can do is emote with his voice, and uh, he does a great job of that. Uh, Jack, uh, w- w- what else uh, did you observe from from this minute? Well, as, as I as I mentioned a little bit just in the last minute, uh, the, the the drums when they kick in, they kick in during. When, when the Imperial Vortex is on the screen here for the next for this minute and next minute too, they'll they'll fade out when when it, when the, the the shot cuts to something non Imperial Vortex <laughs> and then they fade back right right back in when it shows up when it gets back into the screen. That's a real good uh, real good trick. I mean, you you almost would think it would might be the opposite that or well I don't know about the opposite, but but that 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 kind of you know the synthy smoothie smooth kind of sound. Maybe some people might have thought could have been better for uh, going through the vortex, but uh, I think the drums really works. Yeah, that's a great drum beat. Yeah, it's very cool. And there's something to be said for screwing with your expectations in movies with music, where you, you sort of switch it up and you get the different sound when you would normally expect it, and uh, it ends up really popping in your ears when they do that. One thing that I wanted to ask you guys: um, we've talked so much about Queen and their music, and uh, I, I realized. This week, I think I was flipping through the channels, and on TV there was another movie uh, with music by Queen. A very different film, Highlander, was on. It's just pretty crazy that and Queen made a lot of original music for that film. And it's pretty crazy that the same band could do soundtracks for two movies that had such different feels. So they're both sort of fantasy sci-fi, but Highlander was a very different movie than this. Eric, what, what do you think makes Queen such a, a great band to have do soundtracks like this? Because I, I can't think of any other band that did the same thing. You know, Prince did the soundtrack for the first Batman movie, but it wasn't like they kept throwing different movies at him to make soundtracks for. But why why Queen can do this when no one else can? I, I mean, I think it just speaks to, you know, the, the creativity of the band. You know, I mean, I think, you know, this is just my opinion. I think Brian May is one of the, is one of the two or three greatest guitarists out there in the history of rock and roll. Uh, Freddie Mercury, one of the, as we, we talked about way at the beginning of our show, one of the greatest voices in rock and roll. You've got Roger Taylor, 
a great drummer who also wrote a lot of their songs. So I think you just, you know, it was just one of those bands that just was filled with creativity. Um, and, I, and I know that the Flash Gordon soundtrack specifically, they talked about that they really relished the challenge of writing a soundtrack for a movie as a rock and roll band, because back in 1980, that wasn't done. And... Uh, having not read about the process for Highlander, I wonder if they just enjoyed it so much and they had such success with the, the theme song that they felt, yeah, hey, let's do it again. There's also something to be said for their versatility. Queen, the same band that did uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, also did the Flash Gordon song, also did We Will Rock You, also did Crazy Little Thing Called Love. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. <laughs> Wildly different songs. Just goes to show that their talent and also just... They're so adept at music, so they can do different things. Uh, you know, you look at uh, the Ramones, and hey, I love the Ramones, but the Ramones, pretty much a one-trick pony, which they were the first ones to admit. So they, they, it'd be hard for them to like bring in an orchestra for one of their songs because they just wouldn't know what to do with it. But Queen can do different movies because they can play with different styles, and they could do a straight-head rocker or a sort of a throwback swing dance number or We Will Rock You, which is just basically a mantra, and they do such a fantastic job doing each of those. So so I I can't think of too many other bands that have that much versatility to do so many different things so well. Agreed. The the only uh, runner-ups for me – and, and much more recently than this, you know, I mean, this was, it was very much, a, you know, a, a weird thing of the time that they actually were able to do this, you know, as a band produce this music, but then not even as a band. And in, in a sense, these these two more recent uh, uh, musicians, um, first uh, Trent Reznor, however, with, um, oh, gee, now I'm blanking on his name. Either of you guys got it? You mean the David Fincher movies? Uh, yeah, for the yeah, basically the Fincher movies, right? Um, but but he does have a, a, a guy that he does those with um, soundtracks for that, and I've I've gotten them all, and I, I love them to death. But uh, and then but then also um, Johnny Greenwood of Ra- uh, Radiohead, who's been doing the Paul Thomas Anderson music for like the past three or four movies. Uh, but but none of ne- neither of those, e- even the kind of industrial type, um, there's no vocals with it essentially, except for the one one track for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo the the uh the cover <laughs> of zeppelin um but you know and there's really no you know the, there's no vocals with it and definitely the johnny greenwood stuff is much more it's, it's not exactly traditional but it's more traditional instruments just done in interesting more more unconventional ways those are great call outs it's it really is a special musician who can do soundtracks because it's not just creating your own music. You need to create music that fits into the movie and fits the mood of the scene. And uh, it, 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 it can be done really bad. Queen is able to even do, do like a triple Lindy here where they're making movie music that fits the movies, but it still feels like Queen and you still hear them singing and it's still their music. So um, yeah, it, it, it blends in, but it doesn't blend in too much. Am I missing anything else, or do we have this movie minute pretty well beat up? Yeah, I'm good. Long live Lobot. <laughs> Jack, you're, uh, you you do the um, Watchmen minute. Uh, you, you've already discussed you're a fan of the movie. You're, uh, you love the comics. What have your thoughts been so far? They're, they're doing a new Watchmen series, a sequel. Have you been reading that, keeping up with it? Keeping up pretty well, I think. Um, yeah, and, and there's even the, some of the most recent stuff about um, uh, a director for the, the pilot episode, even um, being um, a, it's a female director, and she did uh, what was the name of the show? Like one of the Netflix shows that's pretty popular, it seems like. But you know, I mean, gosh, by the time this comes out, you know, it could easily, or definitely by the time you know our show is ending near the near the end of uh, 2018. 
we should know a lot, a ton about it then. And we'll, and we'll, we'll even be doing uh, special episodes. I'm sure after it to, to, you know, there won't be minute by minute of the, of the TV show itself. That's for sure. But I think Travis and I certainly have ideas that uh, we'll stick around with the idea of with, or with uh, uh, doing that. And we even also are, have talked about, you know, there's with, with the comics, there was the before the Watchmen. And right now there's also the Doomsday Clock series. Yeah, that's actually what I was, uh, that was actually what I was referring to, the Doomsday Clock series. I forgot about the Watch, the uh, HBO series. Damon Lindelof, yeah. Which is a really intriguing idea. All this stuff just must be making Alan Moore insane. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he had the opportunity to, to to make money from this, but it's just not the kind of guy he's he really it seems to be. He wasn't crazy about anything happening with his property that he created. My understanding is he's especially angry about it because when the original deal was done, there was something in the contract that once Watchmen went out of print, the rights would revert back to him and uh, the artist on the series. But the problem is he, no one realized just how massively popular it would be. And it's never, ever going to go out of print. Well, I mean, you know, and it's just that DC knows that they can make a lot more money on it just by, keep, you know, it, even though they might lose some money, just keeping it in print and on small print runs once a year or what have you. You know, they realize they, they're going to make money from uh, doing these other things, the Before Watchmen and do, now Doomsday Clock. Well, where can people go to hear more uh, Watchmen talk li- like this? Uh, you know, where can they subscribe to your podcast, and where can they? Uh, where's your Facebook page so people can uh, join the conversation? Yeah, uh, as as of recording, we we just put out uh, the uh, trailer episode, episode zero, just to kind of get in in on the various things, iTunes and uh, Google Play, Stitcher. Definitely, we're we're about on on many of the major platforms, um, as well as, you know, straight from the website. That's, that's one thing I really look for in, in a lot of the podcasts I listen to. I, I, I'm a little bit more old school and I, uh, go ahead and download manually a fair amount. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. You know, we're, you know, we're on Facebook and Twitter and just find us with Watchmen Minute, you know, very simple. And, and like I said yesterday, I think, uh, the group where you, we can discuss more there is, uh, it isn't quite as obvious, but it's, uh, uh, Crime Busters Listener Society, and we hope to talk a lot about uh, Doomsday Clock and and the uh, HBO series as well. Very cool. There's so much great stuff to talk about, and uh, Jack, it's been fantastic having you. And uh, tomorrow we're gonna f- finish up uh, our recording this week, uh, and I'm looking forward to you being back for that. I look forward to Eric. W- where can people find out more about Flash Gordon Minute? can send us an email at flashgordonminute at gmail.com. Chat with us on Twitter, Flash Gordon Pod, and come to our Facebook page, the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex, and we are in said vortex in this exact minute. Well, Eric, this has been another fun minute, but I, but I have uh, I, I, I have some, some things weighing upon me. You ever see one of those stories where they reveal that a rich, crazy old lady with a lot of pets ends up leaving her fortune to those animals in their will? Oh, I hate that. So one of those stories was on. I didn't even realize the TV was on. I come back into the living room, and there sitting in front of the TV is our cat and our dog, uh, Rocky and Boomer. And then they just looked at me, and it's like, I I think they're getting ideas. Ah, yes. Well, if you're ever concerned that the Planet of the Apes type situation is going to be taking us over, but instead with dogs and cats instead of the monkeys, eh, I, I wouldn't worry about it too much because Flash will save every one of us. Attention listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod and join the conversation on Facebook, 
in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute. Raise a little bit.